the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. That's together to three. The following program is sponsored by Know the Truth Incorporated. Today from Philip DeCourcy on Know the Truth. Money doesn't bring serenity. Money brings anxiety. Psalm 127 verse 2 says that he gives his beloved sleep. Find your security in his love, his grace, his mercy, the promises of his provision. Sleep is God's gift to those who trust him. dream is all about working harder to earn a bigger paycheck and buy more things. Success is measured through the possessions we own. But it's worthwhile to ask ourselves, are we really better off for all of our efforts? Today on Know the Truth, Philip DeCourcy explores that question with a study in the Old Testament book of Ecclesiastes. It's easy to get sidetracked with wanting more and more and forget about the most important things in life. Helping us to keep our priorities straight, here's Philip DeCourcy. There's a story that comes out of Greek mythology, and it centers on Midas, the king of Phrygia in Asia Minor. And according to the account, Midas pleases the gods, and he's given this special power. Everything he touches turns to gold. Maybe you've heard that statement, the Midas touch. This is the story that lies behind that statement. And at first, Midas thinks that this miraculous power is great. But it wasn't long before the seeming blessing was an evident curse. Midas quickly learned that many things are more valuable than gold, and without them, gold is worthless. Even Midas's food turned to gold when he touched it. So sooner rather than later, he longed to be free from his new power. He begged the gods to take from him what they had given to him, and they did. Now, the story of Midas is a story the Greeks use to talk about the Midas trap. Midas's touch leads to Midas's trap. In that money and the pursuit of it can blind us to the reality that there are more important things than money. I mean, imagine Midas. Everything he touched turned to gold, even his food. But he soon learned that there are more valuable things than gold. And without them, gold loses its shine, loses its value. You and I can eat the best of food. We can wear the finest of clothes. We can live in a luxurious, palatial home. We might enjoy something of the Midas touch. But we have lived long enough, have we not, to realize 
that more important than food is an appetite to eat it. More important than a house is a family that lives in it. More important than clothes is the person that wears them. Life is not to be valued in monetary terms. That's a myth. That's a lie. That's a deception. And the story of Midas reminds us of that. This story is intended to pour cold water on our burning desire for more money. It's designed to warn us against the dangers of covetousness and materialism. It's designed to remind us that having more does not mean that you're better off than you were before. More things do not necessarily equate to more life. More times than not, as with Midas, increased wealth ultimately becomes a curse. And so you and I need to be reminded of that. We're going to come into the text in a moment where Solomon reminds us of this very fact as he explodes some myths and he explores some truths about money. I mean, Solomon was the original Daddy Warbucks. This guy had it all. He was a billionaire, millionaire. But he soon realized that there were things more important than gold. And without them, gold lost their value. Without God, money doesn't bring satisfaction. Without God, money doesn't bring sufficiency. Without God, money doesn't bring serenity. Without God, money doesn't bring security. These are some of the myths he explodes, and I want to come back to them because there is a burning desire in our culture and even among Christians to amass more and more material things. In the Western world, a man's worth is determined mainly by a man's wealth. Success is counted in dollars. There's this almost psychotic pursuit of material progression. And we can lose sight of life itself. I may have told you the story before of the man who'd just taken delivery of his red Ferrari. And he drove it for a few miles and he pulled to the side of the road. And as he opened the door on the driver's side, a truck came barreling by and ripped the door right off its hinges. He couldn't believe it. He was irate. He got out of the car and he shook his fist at the truck that was driving on down the road without stopping. He called the police. Sure enough, the police arrived and he told them his sad story with more than a tinge of anger to it. But the policeman stood looking at him as if it didn't fizz him, and the guy didn't understand it. He said, are you listening? The policeman looked at him and said, sir, people like you, I don't understand people like you. He says, all you think about things. Do you not realize that your left arm's missing? <laughs> he says, when that truck took the door off your car, it ripped your left arm from its shoulder. The guy looked, and there was the blood spurting out of his shoulder. He looked at the policeman and he said, my Rolex, my Rolex. <laughs> now, I know that's an exaggerated story, but it's one that speaks about a reality that's sad when the laughter subsides. There are people that live for Rolexes and their life is defined by its presence or its absence as in so many areas. But listen, folks, ask yourself, with this inflation of things in our culture, are we better off or worse off? Look at the domestic landscape. It's a nightmare. 
Marriages are failing. The relationship between parents and children are collapsing. The suicide rate among our young people is skyrocketing. They've lost purpose and passion for life. They're learning that material things don't satisfy. They don't bring peace. They don't afford purpose. Our culture's marked by this burning desire for things. And sadly, it has infected the church. And that's why Ecclesiastes chapter 5 is so important for us to work our way through. Because the church has been infected by materialism. We've got this false idea that God's blessing is measured in physical health and physical wealth. And it has taken on a new and grotesque form in the health and wealth gospel. The spokesman being Joel Osteen and Craftlo Dollar and Kenneth Copeland, and they tell you that it's the Christian's heritage not to be poor, not to be sick, not to be in want at all. The covenant blessings that were promised to Israel are now given to the church. And you need to name it and claim it. But you know what? That's a perversion. It's a deception. And I believe it's an affront to Christ. And it's an affront to the gospel. But let me give you a number of reasons why that kind of theology, that kind of message that says you can have your best life now is wrong. Number one, because it's premised on a false eschatology. Eschatology being the study of the last things of the end times. And you usually find that with these men, they have an idea that we have a realized kingdom, that the fullness of God's kingdom has come in the Lord Jesus Christ. That usually is underwritten by this idea that Jesus Christ has come to reverse the curse now, to roll back the effects of sin in our lifetime. So while death entered and sickness entered and suffering entered and loss entered the world, Jesus is now going to change that. And you can have your best life now. Don't think about dying. Don't believe that sickness and suffering is part of God's will for your life. That's sin. That's unbelief. That's what you get when you believe the kingdom's here. But that's false. The kingdom isn't here. It's here in a, in a sense, no doubt. It's hidden, it's internal, but there's going to be a fuller expression of God's kingdom for a thousand years at the end of history, when the curse will be rolled back, when the power and glory of Jesus Christ will be magnificently manifested. That's the problem. They have a realized eschatology that in effect diminishes heaven and the desire for heaven. It's a theology that redefines true riches. When you read Paul's Passion, he talks about how gaining Christ is his greatest treasure. In Philippians chapter 3, James says in chapter 1 that there may be those who are poor, materially speaking, but they're rich in faith. He talks about the poor rich and the rich poor. Again and again throughout the Word of God, riches and treasure is described in spiritual terms. It's related to our relationship with Jesus Christ, and our material wealth is not an index to God's blessing. Now, this theology is wrong because it's premised on a false eschatology and a realized kingdom that diminishes heaven, that redefines true riches, and ignores the self-denying aspects of the gospel. It turns a blind eye to the hard sayings of Jesus. Jesus told us that if we're going to follow him, we're going to have to deny ourselves. Jesus told us if they hate me, they're going to hate you. Jesus told us that we're going to suffer for his namesake and be delivered up. 
We're going to be persecuted. That's something we seem to have forgotten in the church today. Paul said to the Philippians, it is not only your privilege to believe in him, but also to suffer with him. Almost to a man, every one of the disciples that followed the Lord Jesus died at the hands of the world as martyrs for Jesus Christ. This whole thing's a mockery of the martyrs of the church. And our brethren in other parts of the world who haven't got half of what we have, who are suffering for Christ, who are living on little materially, but who would make us embarrassed of our shallowness in the things of God. It's only in an affluent Western culture do you get this kind of nonsense. Material wealth always leads, if we're not careful, to a diminishing of God among us and a relegating of eternal things. As we come back into this text, Solomon is exploding some myths. The original Daddy Warbucks, who had it all, but realized that when he had more, he had less apart from God. He wants to burst our bubble. He wants to cut materialism at the knees. And last time we were together, we looked at verses 10 and 11, and he reminded us the first myth is wealth brings satisfaction. It doesn't. The second myth is wealth brings sufficiency. It doesn't. Here's the third myth. Wealth brings serenity. Wealth brings serenity. That's the third myth. At this point, Solomon's turning up the volume. He's bluntly reminding his audience of the precarious nature of money, that earthly treasures are fleeting, that they bring more disadvantage than advantage. They produce anxiety in verse 12. The sleep of a laboring man is sweet, whether he eats little or much, but the abundance of the rich will not permit him to sleep. He'll go on in verse 13 to talk about how riches can be kept to their owner's hurt. He talks about fear gripping the heart of the rich man in verse 17. All his days he also eats in darkness. He has sorrow and sickness and anger. Solomon is saying, look, look at the price of wealth. Money can come at a cost. Seems like an oxymoron, but it's true. Solomon explodes the myth that money brings peace. Money brings tranquility. Money sets you at ease. Come on, that's what we think. Let's be honest. We buy into that myth all the time. You know, if I had a little bit more, I'd be happier. I think I'd sleep better. I wouldn't be as anxious. I wouldn't be all wound up. The future would seem brighter. And so the argument goes, if you can rest your head on a big fat bank balance at the end of the night, you'll sleep like a baby. And Solomon says, where have you been? If you close your eyes to the reality that there is no serenity with riches. In fact, then he does this kind of little social experiment. He takes us to one end of the town, and he takes us to the other end of the town, and we cross the tracks on both sides. He takes us to the low-income side of town. You know, the blue-collar worker with his lunchbox under his arm, coming home from a day's work, bounces his kids on his knees, has a you know, reasonable meal, maybe even a meager meal. But as the sun sets, he lies down beside his wife and falls fast asleep. The children are in bed. He's done a day's work, an honest day's work, for which he'll get his wages, through which he'll be able to take care of his family. But his heart, his passions lie elsewhere. He doesn't leave his heart back in the office. He brings it home. 
He crossed the tracks to the other side of town, and his boss, well, he brought the briefcase home. All the papers are out on the desk. The figures don't look good. He's under pressure from the guy above him who's under pressure from the guy above him. And there's this compound pressure that's pushing down on him. And you know what? His wife says, are you not going to come to bed? He says, I can't. I'll be up soon enough. And even when he gets to bed, he tosses and turns. He wakens up at 3 o'clock. He gets some Alka-Seltzer. He can't sleep. He can't settle. Solomon said, that's real. That's actually what happens most of the time. Money doesn't bring serenity. Money brings anxiety. And he can't get to enjoy the fruits of his labor for worrying about keeping it or not losing it. That's the picture that's painted here. And it's a very real one. You get Solomon's point? Wealth doesn't bring serenity. Wealth doesn't bring sufficiency. Wealth doesn't bring satisfaction. Money doesn't solve your worries. It multiplies them. It's an interesting verse, isn't it? The abundance of the rich will not permit him to sleep. Insomnia. It's a real problem. Not sleeping well. Not at rest with life. You need to lay your head on the pillow of Psalm 4, verse 8. I will both lie down in peace and sleep. Doesn't that sound good? You're, you're sleeping like a baby, and you wake up just as happy. Well, how come? Here's the answer. For you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. You want a good night's sleep? Leave your world and this world in God's hands. Don't stay up babysitting the world. That's God's job. Find your security in His love, which is inseparable. His grace, His mercy, the promises of His provision. He will never forsake you. He will never fail you. Pop two of them with a glass of water. Go to bed. Put your head on the pillow of Psalm 4, verse 8. Then remember that you are the beloved of God. Psalm 127, verse 2 says that He gives His beloved sleep. You ever thought about that? He gives his beloved sleep. My friend, you're loved of God. A deep and abiding love, a costly love measured in the sacrifice and death and blood of Jesus Christ. God loves you. For his glory, he loves you. Go to bed. Your shepherd will care for you. You're beloved. Sleep is God's gift to those who trust him. Psalm 121 verse 4 says, the Lord neither slumbers nor sleeps. God's getting stuff done. Read Esther 6. While Esther sleeps, God takes care of Haman's plan to murder Mordecai. By the next day, Haman's going to be swinging on the gallow and Mordecai is going to be blessed by the king. All happens during the night. God's still at work. God's awake when you're asleep. So let that help you sleep. And then finally, his mercy awaits you in the morning. Lamentations 3, 24 through 25. New every morning are his mercies and great is his faithfulness. Amen. You go to bed thinking, my security's in God. I'm safe, I'm secure, I'm kept by the power of God. I have an inheritance in heaven. Jesus loves me, this I know. Bible tells me so. God's going to give me sleep. And as I sleep, he's going to stay awake and stuff's getting done. In fact, he's winding up the next day for me. 
and he's got it all underwritten by his mercy. Dr. Oakley was our professor and principal at the Irish Baptist College, and he was an Englishman, trained at Oxford University, very educated and gracious man. He used to love to tell the story of a, a woman during the time of the Second World War in London who would go down into the subway stations with the rest of the inhabitants as the German bombers came over the English Channel to bomb London to the ground during the Blitz. And down in the subway stations, people would gather and they'd sing and they'd huddle and they'd try and keep their spirits up as they heard the thunder and the thud of the bombs exploding, wondering if there would be a house, would there be a street the next morning? Many people couldn't sleep. Some caught broken sleep. But this woman seemed to be able to put her head on the pillow and get a full night's sleep. And she was asked how. She said, you know what? I used to be like that. I couldn't sleep. I was all wound up and tense and fretful and anxious. But then I came and I read Psalm 121, that the Lord who keeps Israel neither slumbers nor sleeps. And she said, it dawned on me that if God's staying up, I can go to bed. And that's what I've done ever since I came across that verse. Lord, you're staying up. You're keeping watch. I'm going to bed. And I'll see you in the morning. And God says, I'll see you in the morning with a fresh supply of mercy and more evidences of my faithfulness. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this passage of Scripture. We thank you it's worming our way into our hearts reminding us that there are some things more important than gold. Thank you for reminding us the Midas touch is also a trap. That, Lord, uh, money never satisfies the soul. Money never keeps a family together. Money doesn't make strong men and strong women out of our young people. Help us not to exchange our soul's welfare and our life's good for mere money. Lord, help us tonight to go to bed and sleep like a laboring man. In fact, let's just sleep like the children of God, knowing that you're staying up, you're keeping watch, and tomorrow is all planned out and provided for. We thank you in Jesus' holy name. Amen. We can have complete confidence that God will provide what we need. A timely reminder today on Know the Truth. It's one part of a message from Philip DeCourcy called Your Money or Your Life. Whether we're trying to keep up with the Joneses or simply pay our bills, financial pressures can add a lot of strain on our lives. Fortunately, we can find helpful guidance for managing our money right in God's Word. You can also access today's message and more when you visit our website at ktt.org. To purchase messages on CD, call us at 888-644-8811. Another way to listen to Philip's messages is on the KTT app or podcast. Using the app, you can share messages with your friends on Facebook and Twitter. Or send Philip's messages to a friend through a text message. These are a few convenient ways you can help others to know the truth. Learn more at ktt.org. At Know the Truth, it's our mission to share God's Word using every technological means possible, and we also make available monthly resources. Today, you won't want to miss getting a small but mighty book that will prepare you to share the Easter message at a whole nother level. 
renowned apologists Josh and Sean McDowell examine the compelling evidence for the resurrection, equipping you with the facts to bolster your faith and help you share the truth with others. Their booklet, titled The Resurrection and You, explains why Jesus' life, death, and resurrection impacts our lives now and forever. Ask for The Resurrection and You when you give $20 or more in support of the ministry of Know the Truth. Donate when you call 888-644-8811 or go to ktt.org. And if you prefer to send a check, write to us at Know the Truth, Post Office Box 30250, Anaheim Hills, California, 92809. I'm Wayne Shepherd. Tomorrow, Philip DeCourcy talks about how we can enjoy God's good gifts. Listen right here, Wednesday, on Know the Truth. Today's program was produced and sponsored by Know the Truth Incorporated. Jesus said, You shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. It's getting harder and harder to make sense out of today's headlines. To stay on top of breaking world and national news with a Christian worldview and a faith-based perspective on what it means, turn to ChristianHeadlines.com. Log on to ChristianHeadlines.com for the very latest news and then sign up for our free daily newsletter to stay one step ahead of what's happening. Get out of the mainstream media rut with top news and positive headlines every day with ChristianHeadlines.com. This is Lon Chen of the Hoover Institution for townhall.com. Bernie Sanders and his lefty friends are at it again. He's reintroduced legislation to create a socialist-style takeover of our health care called Medicare for All. Make no mistake, it would do just as much damage to our health care as would previous efforts to install a single-payer system. Here are the facts. First, Medicare for All would cost tens of trillions of dollars on top of what the federal government already spends on health care. Even much higher taxes on every American worker wouldn't pay for the socialist-style system that Sanders envisions. Second, Medicare. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.